Hello and welcome to Laidback Lush. I'm Michael, a former wine sales associate and vineyard worker. And I am Gabe. I am WSET Level 3 certified and an administrator for a wine and spirits educating body. If you have not already done so, please follow us at Laidback Lush on Instagram and Twitter, where we post many different things, some of which pertain to wine. Sometimes. Sometimes. Very rarely. So today, in fitting in with the spooktober season, we are going to be... We are going to be talking about some fall wines, Ooh. even scarier. Uh, a lot of people. Um, we got this list directly from Decanter Magazine. <laughs> Wine folly and YouTube are our only sources of information. Hey now, hey now, don't rip on Wine Folly. I like Wine Folly. In fact, I love their infographic images, to be perfectly frank. Oh, no, they're great. They have really good maps, too. If you are actually, if you're taking any WSET courses, their maps are very helpful. Go Ooh, study. I'm sorry. Study. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'll stop. <laughs> this episode's already off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just studying scary stuff. So personally, I know that both me and Gabe, we both actually like heavier wine styles during the summer. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these wines, are things that we have mentioned before, but we want to go into some of the wine, also just some things that we both enjoy. It's a season where slight chill is coming in in the evenings, you have changing colors in the trees, approaching fall activities, it just coaxes out more of a cozy appetite. You know, so summer wine, it typically is going to be highlighting refreshing beverages. Yeah, high acidity. High acidity. Low tan. Well, not for us necessarily, but you know, generally speaking. Yeah. Whereas fall, it, it more entices you to tuck into the complexities of more dark, mm -hmm. textural yeah. wines. These are going to be rich with kind of red, brambly fruits in a lot of cases. And there are, there are a few white wines on my list as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are some white wines, and the white wines can get really quite interesting. Yeah. So, but we'll yeah. get into more of that later. So, ooh, delayed gratification. Oh, no. We're queuing up what wines we're talking about. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, primarily, the things that people are going to go for is just that richer palette among our, our reds. And I would also say wines, particularly with Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner, that need to pair well with a variety of textures, flavors. And Foods strengths. In general, strengths, yes. Yeah, because with Thanksgiving, especially if you do celebrate Thanksgiving, the typical meal that people go for is going to be turkey. Mm -hmm. So although you may enjoy in an evening a lovely Zinfandel or a Grenache or something like that, that's not really going to go super, super well with your turkey because it's just going to overpower it. Yeah. And certainly a Cabernet Sauvignon is going to just blow it out of the water. You won't even know it's there. Yeah. But when you have something that's a little lighter and complex and has these notes, it can end up really highlighting some stuff. So the main one, the one that I know for a fact we sold more of than anything else in the fall, is Pinot Noir. Yeah. Which, if you guys have been listening to our podcast, you know Pinot Noir is my favorite. What? Yeah. What? I don't... Ooh, self-reference. <laughs> Ooh, they're getting meta. How long before the joke stops being funny? I, I think it already is. It's just a habit at this point. I can't stop thinking about it in my head. Um, but yeah, 
You have a lot of bright cherry flavor. The body is not super heavy. You also can have some complex wood and earth notes in there, some mycelial notes, and some amazing herbs as well. I've gotten everything from rosemary to eucalyptus inside of Pinot Noir before. So it pairs so well with turkey. It can go super well with stuffing. Uh, Even just with mashed potatoes, it's particularly good. And it can stand up to the acidity of cranberry sauce. Yeah, because Pinot Noir is a fairly high on the acid scale as a grape. Uh, and also a really convenient thing about Pinot Noir is for this time of year, pretty much any place region-wise that you buy Pinot Noir from, it's probably going to go well. Whether that be from New Zealand, Washington, Oregon, or Burgundy, you can find it from other places as well. But, you know, the characteristics of the grape Obviously, as with any region, and the terroir will influence um, maybe more earthiness out of Burgundy versus more juicy fruit out of New Zealand versus that more uh, heavier, darker, earthier complexity that you get out of the Northwest, Pacific Northwest in the United States. But all of those typically will go well with the food that we eat around this time of year. Precisely. Well, and the other thing is, is a lot of people, they'll end up getting some stuff that is definitely not Pinot Noir, but is in Pinot Noir bottles uh, because of how <laughs> thick they are. Now, I've I've had these. If you like them, then I am not telling you that you are wrong for that. I am. That, that's Gabe's <laughs> job because he's uh, he's WSET certified. I'm the elitist, you see. Yeah, he's the educated one. I just want to sell something. Wine um, snobbery. Uh, sales and corporatism. That's, that's, that's the scariest <laughs> one we've done so far. Hey, man, you thought you were the monster. <laughs> um, no, we sold so much. We sold so much Pinot Noir. And oh, yeah. this is also going to be the best time of year to try Pinot Noirs simply because of the sales. A lot of the times you are going to find things, they are going to be like half off. So by all means, please get your hands on some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. I would personally recommend things from the Willamette Valley because that is my my preference. But if you want something that's a little bit more light, maybe a little bit more flinty, you can get some things out of the more northerly California region. Mm-hmm. And like Gabe was saying, if you want something that has uh, a little bit more lushness to it than New Zealand is a, also a good way to go. I have very few recommendations in that area, though, because I've had maybe one New Zealand. Pinot oh, really? Noir. Um, yeah. It's actually my preferred style of Pinot Noir just because of that more lush, juicy character. Central Otago grows a lot of very high quality Pinot Noir. And part of the benefit of buying out of New Zealand in particular is you're probably not going to be breaking the bank, especially compared to Burgundy. Yeah. So Burgundy, um, it's a good place to look. Yeah. Uh, New Zealand, I would definitely, I feel like New Zealand, I I know it's funny because like they're known for Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir, but I still kind of feel like they're a little underrated for the Pinot Noir sometimes. Yeah. Um, Just because, at least in my circles, people tend to not really think about it when they think about Pinot Noir. And I, you know, like I said, uh, check out Central Otago. I mean, really, it's grown all across the country. Well, New Zealand is really mostly known for Sauvignon Blanc at the moment, which it's Sauvignon Blanc is out of this world. Yes. But really, the only Pinot Noir that I can say that I've tried was the Oyster Bay Pinot Noir. I don't even have a very good recollection of it, to be perfectly frank. I mean, considering how massive that brand is, I'm not really surprised. Love Block that's a mm. producer that is out of Central Otago. If I remember correctly, I tried that wine through work. It's incredible. It's spicy and very luscious and very complex and very fruit heavy. So uh, a very dense fruit at that. 
So that that's a delicious wine. So if, if you can find it, I don't know how common it is. That's one I would recommend. Yeah, but spicy is a really good way to go. If mm-hmm. you're not wanting something that's more spicy, if you're not really wanting to tuck into that pumpkin spice latte of a wine, then... Which, y- this is not the podcast for you. We stand pumpkin spice on this podcast. Yes, we do. It's delicious. We are basic. We do not care. We don't care. Yeah, no, it's fine. Pumpkin spice is delicious. I'm not cutting it out just because everybody else likes it too. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Yeah, I love how we both could just got like super defensive <laughs> over that. Like nobody's here right now. Nobody, we are literally just in your condo alone right now. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, after that spicy take. Um, <laughs> not the TikTok references. This is how we're lush. growing our brand. Oh, God. Okay. Why is it spicy? <laughs> um, moving okay, on. Moving, moving on. on from the spice. So if you don't want something that's more spicy, you want something that still has that kind of like fresh flavor, you enjoy yourself a good cherry pie, you like some of the desserts from our fall menu, then I would recommend the Beaujolais Nouveau. Yeah. This is a fantastic wine that you can get primarily in fall. That's when new shipments of it come in. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, this is also uh, the only wine that I know of that does the carbonic fermentation style, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. uh, Pretty much all Beaujolais Nouveau is going to be carbonic maceration, carbonic fermentation. If you don't know what Beaujolais Nouveau is, it's from the Beaujolais region, which is kind of part of Burgundy, kind of not part of Burgundy. The soil variation is very different. They're more granitic than what Burgundy has. Gamay grows great in that kind of soil, which is the grape that's in Beaujolais Nouveau. The reason it's called Beaujolais Nouveau, which, you know, if you understand French at all, you know that means new. It is a very, very, very young wine. That's why it's done with this carbonic maceration style of winemaking. That style gives you very bright fruit. It adds kind of a bubblegummy, maybe even kind of like banana-y flavor to the wine. And it is released for sale on the third Thursday of November. So that is a Beaujolais Nouveau day. It's like a big thing in wine. There's a festival in Beaujolais to celebrate the release of it. Uh, it has an interesting story behind it. It was kind of born out of marketing, but also a passion for trying to get Beaujolais back on the map. Part of the reason for that is Beaujolais got a bad reputation of producing uh, some not-so-great wine, which Beaujolais Nouveau admittedly can be very simple, kind of just like, well, this is wine. Yeah. That's my gripe with it. However, my gripe is that in some cases it just tastes like grape juice. Yeah. It can be, it can be very, um, not sweet because like all Beaujolais Nouveau is going to be dry, technically speaking, but it's like, it's just hitting your palate with fruit. Sometimes the fruit isn't particularly good. <laughs> Bright, <laughs> but, poppy flavors. But there's another side to Beaujolais Nouveau. And I'm sorry we keep doing this to you guys, but know your producers. Look up wine reviews, ask people that you trust if they have recommendations, because when you can find a good Beaujolais Nouveau, it's really good because it has that carbonic character. It has more complexity than, you know, a a very high volume Beaujolais Nouveau is going to have. It is going to have some floral aromatics. One of my uh, wines that I tried during level three was a Beaujolais Nouveau that absolutely shocked me in how much i enjoyed it 
It kind of reminded me of a Pinot Noir in a way. It didn't have that earthy character at all, but it was definitely that red fruit, very juicy, very bright, very poppy character. And you can get that out of Beaujolais Nouveau. And so that low tannin profile helps keep it food friendly. It does have enough acidity to stand up to a pretty good variety of dishes. It's not quite as high as Pinot Noir. Gamay can also have, when you get into um, some higher levels, which we're going to actually talk about here next, you can get a little bit of a brambly, wild character. I don't really know how to describe it. Some people describe it as foxy, but I don't like that term because it's very vague. However, moving into higher quality Beaujolais wines, though, for fall, for me, I really enjoy the Beaujolais Cruz. So the Cruz are unfortunately not memorized in my head at this exact moment, but the Cruz are going to be the top villages in Beaujolais. Again, they're using Gamay to produce all these wines. And these wines are like serious, quote unquote, wines. They're not necessarily the early, easy drinking of a Beaujolais Nouveau. It's going to be a serious wine that is meant to be, you know, handled like a serious wine, drunk with food that will match it. This is going to be, I would say, a bit less kind of universally food friendly. There is going to be a little bit of a bump up in tannin. Because even though Gamay is not a high tannin grape, but because it's not undergoing the carbonic maceration, carbonic maceration doesn't extract as much tannin. Yeah. So, you know, traditional fermentations are taking place at the crew level for most producers, or um, maybe a semi-carbonic at most, where it's kind of a mix of traditional fermentation and carbonic maceration. That being said, these wines are incredibly complex they typically can pick up some of that kind of granitic character and Mm -hmm. have kind of a dusty minerally flavor to them that i love it depends on you know where you're getting the stuff from but you can really get some amazing differentials Mm -hmm. in the way that this stuff is yeah so these are much more serious wines but to me they're just very uh they're very comforting wines which is why i like them for fall they make me feel cozy i enjoy drinking them even just by themselves on a night in so that's my little spiel on the Beaujolais Cruz. I think we should do an episode on them so that, that way would be we awesome. can uh, name them and kind of give some of the differences between the Cruz and whatnot. If anybody yeah. wants to uh, sponsor a bottle from any one of these places, please let us know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know of two bottles at least that we can buy around here. So that's at least two of them. Moulin Avant and Fleury will be covered under that. Moulin Avant? Do you know of a place around here to grab that? Yeah, Wegmans has it. No kidding. Yeah. They have a Milan Avant and a Fleury, yeah. But that kind of covers Beaujolais, unless you had anything else for Beaujolais. No, I think you pretty much covered it. One thing, oh, that I should mention. These are not aging wines. Drink them within a couple, like, weeks. Yeah. At most. Yeah, Beaujolais Nouveau, is it is meant to be drunk when it's released. That is the point of Beaujolais Nouveau. And that's why you can get so much kind of, like, Beaujolais Nouveau out there. It is notorious for aging very poorly. Yeah. Please, if you learn nothing else from this podcast, learn that you don't age Beaujolais Nouveau. So those are kind of our some of our more popular reds, but moving on to more of like our whites, we actually go right on into the Rhone department in eastern France. Everything from here on out is just kind of our personal what we like to drink during Mm -hmm. fall, kind of like our summer wines episode which if you have not heard that episode, 
I thought it was a good episode. Yeah, I think it's so a great you episode. Should, you should go listen to it to prepare for next summer, nine months ahead of yeah. <laughs> 2022. Can you guys even conceptualize being ready for that right now? You don't need your summer body. You need your summer palate. You yeah. know, you got to start preparing now. You got to start bulking up your taste buds. Get that vocabulary. <laughs> Make those neural connections. Get that mind map going. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yes, Michael's right. We're going to the Rhone Valley, uh, particularly the Northern Rhone Valley, and we are going into Condrio. Now, if you are familiar with Rhone, you know Rhone is known for reds. This is white, and this is going to be made from the Viognier grape. Now, if you remember, I said Virginia Viognier for summer wine because we tend to acidify our Viognier. And therefore, that keeps it very light and refreshing for summer. Condro is the exact opposite. They do not acidify their wines. Viognier tends to be a fairly low acid grape. So these wines can almost have an oily, viscous texture yeah. to them. If you are an acid white lover, I personally am, but I also enjoy this style of wine. However, I know a lot of people that don't. Because if you're looking for a white wine and you're an acid lover... This might not really hit it for you because it's not meant to be that. It is meant to be more very densely fruity, mouth-coating texture, full-bodied. Yeah. It still has that complex florality going on. You're still getting some honeysuckle. Fruits, in the there. honeysuckle, yeah. You can uh, maybe get a little minerality, but it's more about those fruits and those florals for Condro. And because of uh, the lack of acidity, for me... It's better for cooler weather drinking. It's a little more cozy feeling. It can be pretty complex. I will say the disadvantage of Condro is that it tends to be fairly pricey. It's also pretty hard to find. So that is the disadvantage. However, if you can get your hands on it, especially because I feel like, you know, for most people, they've never tried it. Yeah. I did not try it until my level three. I never even heard of it until my level three. And I really enjoyed what I had in class. So that would be one for fall that I would recommend personally, because it is a white that can stand up to cooler, cozier weather, unlike our summer whites that we talked about. Yeah. One, it really, that richness that it's able to present to you, it is weird how it can take a summer aroma like honeysuckle and mm -hmm. turn it into something that you can enjoy yeah. in colder weather. It's almost kind of like, you, you know how in summer you eat fruit? It's kind of how in fall you start making fruit tarts and, and i don't when you hear me say that please don't think like lee's aging or anything like that because chondro doesn't really do that yeah we're not um, talking about more bready notes i'm just talking about more of like something maybe more dessert like uh, and this wine is also not sweet I, i'm using words that i probably shouldn't be using right now so it's not a sweet wine and it, it's not it's not lazy it's not bready but it has that more of that impression just because the fruit is concentrated and a little bit deeper than what you would find with a more acidified Viognier, at least in my opinion. I would have to agree. So moving on from Condro, Petite Mansang. Or as I like to call it, a seven-part choir. <laughs> that was the spookiest joke of it all. <laughs> yeah. Dad jokes. Yeah. Hey, I... I my joke is in disguise. I doubt that anybody's even going to get it. Well, I got it, and that's, got it. that's the problem. <laughs> so, Petite Man saying, if you're in Virginia, you probably are actually fairly familiar with this grape. A lot of Virginia wineries. Yeah, a lot of Virginia wineries do grow this grape. It does pretty well in our climate. It is from France originally. Petite Man saying is a great fall white for me because, very much like Viognier, 
It is very fruity. This is not floral like Viognier is this one's like all fruit yeah uh, at least the ones I've had have typically been very much fruit so you can get stone fruits and warmer sites you can get tropical fruits a lot of producers keep some residual sugar particularly in France in France petite man saying is primarily used for late harvest wines which mm-hmm. if you remember our dessert wines episode that means they were left on the grape vines for a longer period to let all those sugars really concentrate so that way you can make a sweet wine a lot of Virginia producers will ferment to full dryness, but again, a lot of them do still leave some sugar. A lot of producers actually make dessert wines out of their Petit Mansang. So this is a wine that you can find a dessert style in very easily. It's really rich. It's very rich. When you get a dry Petit Mansang, I will caution you, they run like around 14 minimum yeah. percent. Most of the ones I've had in Virginia are at 15 Well, they can almost be like creamy to the point of almost like a cheesiness. Yeah. And a part of that will come from if they're particularly a dry from that viscousness that the alcohol is going to be giving. And that, again, kind of like the Condrio, the lack of acidity. Petit Mansang does have decent acidity, but because the bump in alcohol from that high sugar content that the grapes naturally have does also give a very rich, full-bodied mouth coating texture normally, which is, again, great for fall for me. One of the reasons why I like this, especially for fall, is that you really can get more of like some of those nutty, spicy secondary flavors as well. Yeah. It is a lot of fruit. It is complex as an experience, but having just that nice juxtaposition between the rich, dense fruits Mm -hmm. and then those more nutty, spicy things, it's like tucking into a fireside. You yeah, know, it's it's really good. Yeah. And so a recommendation I would have, particularly from Virginia, is Bluestone Vineyard has a Petit Mansang. I know Wegmans carries some Bluestone Vineyard wines. I don't know how much they carry in Richmond, at least. But uh, we tried this one out at Early Mountain, which uh, if you follow our Instagram at Layback Lush, you uh, know that we took a trip out there last month. Yeah, last month. And we tried it. It was very good. It was delicious. It was incredible. Yeah. So I would recommend the Bluestone Vineyard Petit Mansang in particular. But again, just the grape itself, I think, will lend itself well if you're getting from a good producer. Uh, I just really can't wait until they flip their menu at Early Mountain. Yeah, we we need to go back. We actually had a chance to talk with, uh, it was Tim Moore. Yeah, the executive chef. And he was saying that they had some ideas about using some of the byproducts of of the wine Mm -hmm. in order to kind of create a more interesting fall menu yeah so i'm i'm really looking forward to that we have to plan another trip out there yeah we 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 don't want to give too much away but we definitely we need to get back in contact with him and see what's going on yeah yeah which his story just to because we took the opportunity while we were talking with him just to be um a little nosy and apparently this guy has like worked for three michelin star restaurants in mm-hmm. the past like yeah. he really knows his stuff and he's like a very down-to-earth cool guy i really enjoy talking to him so yeah if you ever encounter tim at early mountain tell him we sent you i guess yeah let him know <laughs> that at laid back lush on twitter and instagram sent me <laughs> plugging our socials <laughs> calls to action this is this is the reason why we never get anything done is because we've grown up in the age of social media and so we know what we're doing but we also don't necessarily want to be doing it but it's necessary if we love what we're doing yeah and we do and we do love what we're doing so please tell tim more that we sent you it's because of our influence we're influencers we're influencers dang it 
Well, oh, let's influence you to the next wine then. Oh, uh, oh nice. Yeah, nice. yeah, thank you. So I, I kind of debated putting this one under whites, but I didn't really have anywhere else to put it. Yeah, um, it did make sense. Because it's a white grape, technically, but Oloroso Sherry. Both Oloroso Standard and Oloroso Cream Sherries I would recommend for fall just because they tend to have a lot of chocolate, a lot mm-hmm. of nuttiness, particularly like walnut, hazelnut. They can have really good complexity. They're a fortified wine, and if you buy a cream, Oloroso Sherry, you know, if you listen to our Sherry episode, which was another really fantastic episode. That was, a, that was a really fun uh, episode. That was, that I really, I still look back at recording that fondly. That episode, we talked about Sherry much more in depth, but uh, Oloroso Sherry is kind of like the darkest, most oxidized yeah. style of Sherry that you can get. So you are getting just that rich tertiary chocolatey well you can get like balsamic it even has like a feeling of animal tones like truffles and Mm -hmm. and, and leather yeah oh yeah leather is a very good one all those things make me think of like what i like to be around during fall season precisely that, that is why it's on this list i know it's kind of an unusual recommendation i think most people would think for fall but for me it's just like that's what i like and so yeah. that's what i enjoy like, drinking you just lit up the fire after you walked into a darkened room you sat down on a leather sofa near the fireside and are currently munching down on some walnuts mm-hmm. while somebody Candy it's, walnuts. Yeah. Candy uh, walnuts and Oloroso sherry. Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, well, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad I don't have a fireplace here. Right? Uh, one of my friends does have a fireplace. I just helped them chop a bunch of wood, so that's going to be So we're going right so now, we're going. right? We're no, stopping they're, recording. They're we're out going of right now. at the moment. So we're breaking into their house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that their dog would love that, actually. Hey. Hey, all you had to say was dog. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. I don't care if we get arrested. It's a, a lovely little uh, pit bull. But yeah, so moving on from Oloroso Sherry, we have some other reds. Yes. Now we have the wine that we will be doing a tasting of at the end of this episode, which is Barbera. Um, I can already tell by the smell that I'm not sure that this was the bottle to really showcase this grape with, but mm-hmm. we will get to that. Barbera as a grape. You might have heard of it. It's an Italian grape. It is grown in other places. I think California has some Barbera plantings, if I remember correctly, like a pretty wide variety or a pretty wide swath of Barbera plantings. This is a lighter bodied wine. It tends to be very rich fruits, low tannin and high acid. So if that kind of sounds like Pinot Noir to you, um, I I hesitate to compare Barbera to Pinot Noir because if you were to taste them side by side, they are very clearly different. Mm -hmm. But it's reminiscent of Pinot Noir to me because it has that fruit character, the low tannin, the high acid. It's refreshing. And again, that makes it pretty good for a wide variety of foods during this time of year as well to pair it with. The New World Barberas in particular tend to remind me a lot of Pinot. Um, the Italian varieties, which the two big ones you're going to see are the Barbera d'Alba DOC and the Barbera d'Asti DOCG. These are the two really big Barbera appellations in northern Italy in the Piemonte region. They tend to be more earthy and um, restrained, I guess, than the mm-hmm. New World counterpart, which is just kind of like a thing between New and Old World wines in general. Yeah, but and that can even just come from planting ages. Yeah, and, you know, the climate and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, fairly cool in the Piemonte. Because New World, we, we mostly have it in California, Australia, Argentina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can be pretty hot. So. Yeah. 
it's going to get very ripe yeah. in those. And so that's the style you like. That's where you know to look. But uh, yeah, stick around. We'll be tasting a Barbera that we got at the end of the episode. But moving on, unless you had anything else. No, that's, I think you, you covered it pretty well. I think we'll have a lot more to say once we get into this wine. Yes. Virginia Tanat. So Tanat uh, is from France. And I want to say there's an appellation in the middle of France that actually is a Tanat appellation. And I cannot remember what it is off the top of my head. I want to say it's near Cahors, if I remember correctly. I'm sorry. I don't remember. I should have looked. I know, it. I know it's southwest France. Is... Yeah. Either way, uh, saying all that to say it was originally from France. It's a French grape, but we grow it a lot here in Virginia. It does very well. I know that uh, Uruguay is, is also growing it now. Uruguay is growing it very successfully, actually. Yeah. So Tanat, and there's a reason I put Virginia. It's because, you know, we are growing a lot of it. And so if you live in Virginia, it's fairly easy to find. The Tanat grape is going to be high tannin, very deep color, like Shiraz level deep yeah, color. It's inky. Yes. Really intense fruit and spice character on Tanat. It typically needs age just because it is, again, it is a high tannin grape. It actually, Tanat has the highest amount of um, resveratrol, if I remember correctly. No kidding. Out of, any, out of any black grape in the world. So it's the best for antioxidants. Wow. Yeah, fun fact. Well, I better get on that. <laughs> yeah, and you're in the perfect state to do that, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, seriously. Well, especially since it also, it, it can have flavor notes like black licorice and vanilla. Mm-hmm. And yes. black licorice, apparently not very good for you, but if it's in wine. I love black licorice. Yeah, I love black licorice. So, so if you're much. a hater get off our podcast you probably don't even like jaeger <laughs> i don't even like jaeger if we're gonna be honest okay well you probably don't even like uh oh god what is uh, i had a bad experience absinthe. i love absinthe i just had a bad experience with jaeger so but we're, i've we're had not so many get into great that. experiences with jaeger i don't i have never heard anyone say that yeah. i have never heard anyone say that. <laughs> like i didn't overindulge or anything i just i had a little bit like i literally was just sipping it throughout the night because it tasted like black licorice to me and i was like this is delicious all right this is the moment that i realized i can no longer be friends with michael <laughs> uh and one more thing about Tanat, though going back is uh, it tends to be a high alcohol grape so just know like the tea man saying yeah. you are probably going to be hitting some high alcohol so give it some age. A lot of producers will be aging it already in barrel yeah. to soften it up a little bit. and oh, get, to give it some spice. To give it some spice. It does really well with oak. It's a great We know why that. it's spicy. We know why it's spicy. Why is it spicy? <laughs> I gotta stop. We gotta stop. We, we gotta to stop. stop. TikTok has ruined us. It really has. But as a particular shout out, the Stinson 2017 Tanat actually won a governor's gold this year. Oh, you're kidding me. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually just drank. I, when I was out at Stinson earlier this year, I got a bottle. I just drank it last week. And it's every bit as good as I remember it being mm. at the winery. It could easily go for a while under proper cellaring conditions because, again, that high tannin, it was treated with oak, so it already has some oxygen and play going Stinson really hit it out of the park with that to not. Mm. So I would really recommend that one. If you can get your hands on it, uh, you know, Stinson isn't the biggest uh, volume wise producer in the world. So I don't know how much is left at the moment. But if you can find it, I would recommend grabbing a bottle or two or five or ten and then giving <laughs> and nine then of you, them yeah, to me. I was about to yeah. say, give us a tithe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An inverse tithe. You, get, you keep 10%. We get 90. Oh. Yeah. 
Wow, you drive a hard bargain, man. <laughs> well, you know, that's the cost of taste, baby. That's the cost of taste. How am I supposed to know I still know the flavors if I'm not constantly <laughs> drinking? Exactly, yeah. It's just, it's to remind myself, you know. Speaking of other really nice, thick, plump wines, mm-hmm. we also have Petite Verdot, and I see here that you have written uh, Virginia Petite Verdot in particular. Yeah, well, part of that is it's almost impossible to find single varietal Petite Verdot outside right. of Virginia, and I think Argentina has mm-hmm. some single varietal Petite Verdot. You're not going to find it in Bordeaux, even though it's one of the five primary Bordeaux grapes. Bordeaux views Petit Verdot as too overpowering, so it's used as a finishing touch on a blend for the the French. There is some in Australia as well. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'd be fascinated to try it from Australia. Yeah, apparently it has more of like a, a, a waxy hmm. characteristic to I it. I would love to try that. Yeah. If you can find a bottle, please send it to us, or yeah. at least send us where we can buy it from. We're just consistently asking people to send us wine in this episode, and you know what? I'm okay with that at Send this it point. to P.O. Box 1234, Laid Back Lush Lane. <laughs> oh my god. Can we please have a road named after us? Uh, yes. Yeah. I'm calling city council right now. <laughs> Uh, petit verdot is so it's one of those late harvesting grapes Mm kind of small very thick skins though so you are still getting a lot of those like huge flavors yeah out of it petit verdot translates to little green one oh uh, no kidding which in like you said it, it has very small very tightly packed berries so this is a high tannin wine petit verdot is black fruit heavy but it also tends to have a very particular like sagey herbal character to it yeah a very pronounced live lilac lavender Mm -hmm. yeah it it tends to have this very aromatic herbal nose to it petit verdot is actually my favorite grape fun fact same i think we ended up both drinking at least two glasses of that at Reynard florence uh just one we did the recherche for our first glass yeah but the petite verdot was so good it it is and i actually is that's my recommendation that i put down is the reynard florence petite verdot it is uh because reynard florence does it really well the thing with petite verdot with a lot of virginia producers is um well okay because it's my favorite grape i'm picky about it right i feel like a lot of times people try to release it as an early drinking wine and they don't succeed. I yeah. think reynard has hit a really good balance where you can lay that bottle down for a while and that high tannin profile is definitely going to help that just by nature of the grape itself. But this is a grape, it's like to not, it needs time. And yeah. I feel like too many people just kind of try to rush it out. Actually, you know what, I will say Chestnut Oak Vineyard has a very good early drinking style Petit Verdot. It's very fruity. It doesn't have that real astringent bite to it. I don't know how they managed it, but they did somehow. That is actually a very good early drinking Petit Verdot. However, I would say for most Petit Verdots, lay them down for a while just let them sit let them mellow out and you know don't drink them the day after they were released but when you can get a good petit verdot they are so warm and cozy like a blanket wrapped Mm. around you in front of a fireplace and actually i would say more of like a bonfire because petit verdot kind of has it has that herbaceous kick it has a bit of a wild character to it you're outside you're roasting marshmallows yeah it's a good time don't pair marshmallows with Petit Verdot. Yeah, don't though. do that. <laughs> this is like a red meat kind of wine. Yes. This and Tanat both are very much like heavy red meats or, um, you know, complex You know, dishes. that's what we need to make. You know how they... Like heavy pastas. You know how they have those, uh, those things where you can do grilled cheese over a fire? They need to do that, but it's like a grill on both sides of a steak. 
that you can just hold over a fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even, I'm sure that they make that. I'm sure that they do too, but I don't have it yet. Yeah, we need to get it. We need to get we that, need to get and it, then we yeah. need to start a bonfire somewhere. Yeah, in the parking lot outside your condo. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, my poor neighbors would die of heart attacks. <laughs> literally, oh. literally. No, but in all sincerity, though, do think around like five years bare minimum for yeah. this wine. But again, the Rainer Florence drink now they do perfectly great, great to yeah. drink now. Um, shout out Rainer, we love you guys. Yeah, no, we absolutely adore you. Thank you for putting up with us. Yes, <laughs> and all the people I have brought to your winery. <laughs> uh, so moving on from Petit Verdot, though, going outside of Virginia, Right Bank Bordeaux wine. Oh, which we're is, in France again, which is the wine I was trying to find to do a tasting for tonight. Yeah, we were trying really hard, but oh well, that didn't happen. Uh, Kroger, step it up, seriously. <laughs> Right Bank Bordeaux, the reason I said Right Bank in particular is Right Bank Bordeaux wines tend to be much more Merlot and Cabernet Franc dominant than Cabernet Sauvignon dominant. There are some plantings of Cabernet Sauvignon in Pomerol and Saint-Emilion, but it's, again, going to be, even with that, much more Merlot dominant and Cabernet Franc dominant. Yeah. Those grapes do much better in the clay soils that the Right Bank has. Yeah, Cabernet Sauvignon does not like a lot of moisture. No, or it's Merlot dry soil. Yeah. Tolerant. Yes. Very tolerant of it. Cabernet Franc actually prefers wetter soil, so yeah. it does great there. So these wines are going to be more lush, you know, rounder bodied. You're not going to be getting quite as much of that, like, harsher... Um, dried leaves and and dry tobacco of the left bank it's going to be more like old leather and like pipe tobacco if you will for the right bank of bordeaux the two big appellations in the right bank bordeaux are going to be saint emilion and pomerol Mm -hmm. and if you remember from our actually last episode the saint emilion grand cru ranking system which is needlessly complicated but if you see saint emilion grand cru on a bottle you're probably guaranteed to get a wine that you will at least enjoy if not love. At least that's been my experience with saint Emilion Grand Cru wines. Yeah. And just if you didn't watch our French wines episode, which you should, just be aware that when we talk about left bank or right bank, we are talking about where the land is positioned in relation to the uh, Garonne in Dordogne uh, uh, yeah. rivers. That's what we're talking about. It's a very specific set of rivers that goes through mm-hmm. and you have Basically, two very different types of soil separated on either side. Yeah. That is the difference. Yes. So, right bank Bordeaux, in summary, great because it's not as harsh as the left bank counterparts. It's more lush, more easy drinking at a younger age. These wines can age, um, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, uh, particularly the higher quality ones, albeit maybe not as much as the left bank because it's missing the really high tannins and the high acidity of Cabernet Sauvignon, which are two things that really allow a wine to go for a long time. But these wines are still crafted normally to hold for a while and at least hold for a while. Again, yeah. higher quality wines, you can lay down and have them improve. But these are just, they're great for fall. I, I love them for fall. These are, you know, probably want to be pairing them with some heartier dishes as well, but they're a little bit more versatile than yeah. left bank. Well, you can definitely have it with even like cured meats, that sort yeah. of thing, mm-hmm. which if cheeses. Yeah. If you're like us, then that's a, a staple of your diet in the first place. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but also it's particularly nice in fall for you to have something nice and savory, a little spicy. And then the right bank Bordeaux wines just it pairs mm. so perfectly. Yeah. So to finish us out, for dessert, Ruby Port. I love Ruby Port. 
I feel like you probably know about port. Uh, if you don't know about Ruby port, it is a dessert wine out of the Duero region in Portugal, ergo port. And it is a blend of a ton of different <laughs> red grapes. I don't yeah. They have an insane amount of grapes that are cleared for that appellation. But Ruby Port is released young. It's aged a little bit, but normally less than three years if it's aged. This is an early drinking style of port. It is fortified, so it is high alcohol. Be warned. <laughs> don't just guzzle this stuff down like you would any other uh, any other wine. Oh, yeah. And, and you'll know. You'll feel it. But yeah, port has just incredible fruit. It has caramel. It has mocha. It has all the wonderful deliciousness that I could ever want in a wine. While at the same time presenting you with some more of those red fruits. Yeah. Whereas the other, you know, tawny port, that sort of thing, you're not getting as many red fruits. Tawny ports are more about all that tertiary character anyway, because they've been aged extensively, yeah. But this is going to be like cherry pie. That's normally how I would describe it. The fruit's normally going to be fairly jammy, so it's going to be, you know, just that very ripe, kind of almost uh, viscous, not necessarily in texture. Well, yeah, in texture, actually, because of all that alcohol that's in there. So, yeah, just like a very kind of viscous, juicy experience. Yeah, and you don't need to rush with it because even an opened bottle will last between four and six weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The reason I, I put this one in particular for fall is because... It's just such a fun wine to drink. Yeah. And it's also like a cozy wine to drink. Like, I just like to drink Ruby Port with friends and just like hang out in sweaters on a porch or something, you know? Like, we do need to do that. We do need to do that. I'll bring the sweaters. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have enough. I have, I have a few. <laughs> my sweaters and my turtlenecks. We probably wear the same size too now that I think uh, about it. We, we are actually just the same person. It's yeah. just that you're ginger. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We're actually twins. <laughs> yeah, twins separated at uh, some time after birth. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that kind of finishes out my list. You had a couple of other wines so that you wanted to mention, right? Uh, I mean, you can totally go for a Zinfandel. You can totally go for Garnacha. You can even go for Syrah. Mm -hmm. All of these are going to have the potential of, of having some good uh, fall-like flavors. Your Zinfandel can uh, have chocolate. It's going to be pretty rich if mm -hmm. you like something that feigns a bit sweeter. I would recommend not buying Zinfandel out of Lodi. Yeah, don't unless, do that. Unless you know that that's a good producer. Lodi tends to produce high-volume grapes for all of California. Lodi is kind of known for Zinfandel because they grow so much of it, but yeah. uh, it's a quality versus quantity issue with that. If you want a good quality one, Soban Estate is a is a pretty good place to start. Segezio, I believe is how you pronounce it, also makes, yeah. they have a whole line of Zinfandels. I've only tried, I think, their base one that has the blue uh, mm -hmm. label. Uh, that one is very good. Yeah. I like that one a lot. That's really good. If you want something that has a little bit more... I hesitate to say refinement in flavor because Zinfandel is about indulgence. Yeah. If you've it, ever read yeah. a Zinfandel label, you know that it's about indulgence. Yeah. It's the seven deadly Zins. It's, yeah. you know, everything is something to do with hyperindulgence. But there are a couple, uh, I believe Truett Hurst makes one, I forget out of which region, but it's it's some of the oldest vines in California for Zinfandel. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Dry Creek Valley. That's where it's at. Beautiful area. I definitely recommend having a Zinfandel from there. It is absolutely delicious. If you've never visited there, I also recommend doing that. I haven't been there myself. I've just had to look at pictures and just looking at the pictures themselves. It's like, oh my God, this place is incredible. 
plus its proximity to civilization is fairly remote. So there is not going to be a lot of influence from a lot of industry like you do end up seeing in like Lodi. Mm -hmm. Lodi has a lot of like cow pastures and other things like that. And that that does get into the wine. I love Zinfandel. Yeah, no, really. I I mean, this is why they plant animal agriculture and its environmental impact. (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally okay with them cloning meat. I think that that's the best option. I really want to get on the lab meat train. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Yeah. Uh, it's like this is this is a great idea yeah anywho uh but that's why they will plant lavender fields next to vineyards in france it's because Mm -hmm. the environment that a grape grows in ends up impacting its ultimate flavor yeah and that happens in lodi and it happens in the dry creek valley syrah is also or, or shiraz is also really good wine for fall particularly if you're wanting some of those like larger more savory flavors it's typically seen as more of like a barbecue wine Mm -hmm. but you can be getting some just nice spice out of it some nice big bold fruit i like drinking it after a nice hearty meal myself yeah or or with a nice hearty meal or with a nice hearty meal another great thing if you don't want something with a really big body but you just need more tannins than you're going to be getting in pinot noir get yourself a tempranillo Mm-hmm. Tempranillo is going to be able to give you all the tannins that you need. It has some really nice fruit notes. Yeah. You still need that woodsiness to be able to keep your interest. And Tempranillo is a great option for you. And it's very inexpensive. Especially out of Spain. Oh, my God. Spain. Yeah. My, my one true love. Let's get on to tasting this wine, though. Yeah. I have thoughts i want to know yours i've been sipping on this throughout the episode yeah i'm going in blind so i have not actually tried this yet but uh do we want to talk about the nose first before i yeah let's let's talk about this nose so this was a 15 dollar bottle this is the rocco giovanni barbera de alba so this is an italian style it's the 2018 it smells like a 15 dollar wine to me i'm even getting a little bit of like balsamic off of it that I'm not so sure about. See, you say balsamic, and this hit me a couple seconds ago when I smelled it. It kind of smells like low-quality marijuana, if I'm being honest to me. have a lot of experience, do you? (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. But, no, it's that kind of like unctuous character that marijuana tends to have that kind of skunky thing it's yeah. not it's not um don't think barnyard but there's a it's, there's it's a reaching hint, for it there's a hint of that kind of skunkiness and like and, i'm and, almost getting a little bit of blood off of it which normally i would be like a hundred percent on board with mm-hmm. but off of a barbera yeah the the rest of the fruit kind of falls into line you know it's uh i get cherry yeah cherry some raspberry some cranberries no strawberry though which no you can get some good strawberry in a barbera yeah. i guess we're kind of getting into a plummy character but it's like an underripe plum really i i this this kind of smells like it might have been picked a little bit too early to me personally yeah. or it might have been from a site that was slightly too cool or maybe it was just a cool year i don't know see now i'm thinking cherry raspberries and blood though and that's kind of <laughs> making me really enjoy this I hope a therapist is listening to this <laughs> no, episode. No, there's a very specific profile that really is kind of fantastic about those more savory, indulgent notes. If you like your steaks rare, mm-hmm. like I do, yeah. then then you may enjoy this, actually. I also, I can't tell if it's because the glass I'm drinking from is not particularly great for funneling aromas, but this is like, it's not a light intensity, but 
we're on the low end of medium. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of struggling to like really pick out some concrete things in this wine. It's kind of um just a mishmash, if I'm being honest. Uh, we didn't anticipate just ripping this wine apart, so, so we don't sound like we just came into this cheap with... pepperoni. <laughs> I really didn't anticipate ripping this wine apart, but as soon as we, we haven't even said who it's by, actually, I said who it was by. Oh, did you say that? Yeah. Oh well, sorry. I mean, they put it out there. <laughs> they put for it sale, out there. So like, I will. Okay, I'm gonna try it now. Yeah. Try it, see what you think. Ooh, that's a lot of confusion that just came across your face. Tell me about the tannins, Clarice. There are tannins? Yeah. Huh. Must have missed them. (laughs) (laughs) I think they got filtered out during the filtration stage. (laughs) Okay, yeah, no, I'm, I'm joking. This is a low tannin wine. There are some tannins. I can feel them on my tongue, but they are, this is like, this is like a Beaujolais Nouveau tannin level. This is very low tannin. Oh my, that's why. So as I was tasting this, I'm like, why is my mouth only watering and on the back of my palate? If you know anything about identifying the strength of alcohol in a wine, typically if your mouth waters when the wine hits the front of your palate, then it's going to be that it's just a high acid wine. And that's particularly good for a high tannin wine. If your mouth waters when it gets to the back of your palate, that's typically going to mean high alcohol. And my mouth is super watering every single time I take a sip and it hits the back of my palate. And I'm like sitting there, I'm like, this has got to be actually pretty high. And this is a 14.5% alcohol by volume wine. Yeah. And um, it's a low acid wine. Mm -hmm. You get a little bit of mouthwatering, you swallow once and it's gone. Yeah. And it's not the tannin doing that. So on the palate, it kind of tastes like nothing. Like, somehow the nose is more interesting than the palate Mm -hmm. is. Guys, I promise we did not try this wine beforehand and go into it anticipating to rip it apart like this. I was Um, hoping that it was just a tighter wine, but even even then, I kind of knew. This doesn't have the structure to be tight. Exactly. There was (laughs) nothing nothing, to open up. There was nothing packed. It was just kind of like, this is here. And it's just kind of here. I mean, if I can give it a positive... The raspberry and the cranberry are on the palate, and they're pretty bright. They haven't fallen out at all. The other fruits, though, it, like the cherry just kind of feels tired. Yeah, it's like the cherry gave up. Yeah, the, the cherry is like, I don't want to be here. I don't belong here. I, I have to go. Why are we here? Just to struggle. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> This podcast is just going to become references <laughs> at a certain point. Referential humor. Uh, we like to bring the... Uh, we're millennials. Yeah, we're millennials. Uh, yeah. No, this is not an enjoyable wine. I would not recommend this wine. I'm a little angry that I paid $15 for this wine, to be yeah, perfectly this honest This tastes like it, maybe $10. Man, I really hope this is no one's like first episode listening to us. I promise we normally try our very darndest to be really... And we, we also try and drink wines we know we're going to like. The reason we chose this wine is we were trying to find a wine that it was a wine that we talked about. And so I kind of blind bought this thinking... Well, I have Barbera on my I thing. literally asked, how bad could it be? Yeah, yeah, Michael literally <laughs> said that to me in the store, and I guess we found out. You know, I hope this doesn't put you off of potentially buying a Barbera. 
If you give with our Barbera de Asti, since that's, you know, a DOCG, you are going to be getting a higher quality wine just by nature of that. But maybe rely on some <laughs> recommendations. Yeah, we did not look it up before we did anything. And this is, yeah. a, this is a DOC. Like this. Yeah. I'm surprised. That like approaching skunkiness is kind of on the palate too. Like it's a little sour. Yeah. So uh, although we have made poor choices this evening, we hope that our podcast <laughs> has helped you to increase your knowledge so that you don't make the same mistake. Ooh, poor wine buying decisions. <laughs> oh my, no, that is actually scary. <laughs> Wasting money on, on bad wine is always just a good way to ruin an evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, the, the lack of, I think, honestly, what's really doing this wine in is the lack of acid is throwing acid. everything off. It's just flat. It's what, flabby. Do you want to p- pour some lemon juice in it, see if it helps? You know, at this point, we might as well. We might as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, we could do that. Let's do it. Yeah, let's just. Let's, let's do it. The lengths we go to for you guys. <laughs> yes, Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Uh, I just want to salvage this bottle. Yeah, no. It, it, I, this is honestly, it, it's not as bad as the gas station wines, but it's like, it's in the ballpark. It is not a comparison I don't with know. the gas I, station I, wines. For me, I say that because it's like nothing about this wine really seems to be going right, except for like two tasting notes that I'm getting, you know? All right, all right. Just a teensy bit. See if this does anything. If it does, then I'm just pouring it straight in the bottle. It honestly smells better. It smells so much better. <laughs> it actually <laughs> smells a lot better. This is Laid Back Lush, and this is how to improve a bad wine. <laughs> Welcome to the Wine Hacks episode. <laughs> oh my gosh, DIY Wine Hacks. I love it. Five-minute crafts of wine. That's that's the move. That's our Did brand. Did you accidentally buy a Roca Giovanni Barbera d'Alba? We can help. It's not great. But it's better. But it's better. It's actually it's better. Actually, like, this is it's palatable. It's actually better. This what? is palatable. What? Did we just discover a thing? Michael, I think, I think we're geniuses. I think we might actually have an IQ above 200. Oh my God. <laughs> Einstein, eat your heart out. Theory of relativity, garbage compared to what we just found. Hey, James Suckling, I hope that you can hear us now. <laughs> We put lemon juice in our wine. Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan, have us on your podcast so we can espouse misinformation about wine. (laughs) (laughs) So that that we can tell you the story about how we were recording a podcast and figured out how to hack wine. And so that's when I figured out after I uh, smoked a bunch of weed and took psilocybin how to hack wine. That's that's really interesting. Jamie, can you pull that clip up? Have you ever have you ever done DMT while you've been drinking wine? That, no. Or uh, have you ever paired with elk meat? You know, I I I, <laughs> I do actually want to really try some elk meat. Oh, I bet it's delicious. By the way, these are not in any way a reflection of our personal views. We are just riffing on Joe Rogan because he has a podcast that's insanely popular. Yeah, he can handle it. He can handle it. I I doubt he'll ever hear this. I yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's powerful. Okay, now. so um. Lemon juice fixed, well, it didn't fix, it's still not great, but it it's it, it improved the wine. Yeah. I will say, this is a good learning moment for us and for the viewer, or listener, I should say. 
on how important structural elements yeah. of a wine are. Balance is key. Yes, particularly your acid, because a lot of people don't think of wine as acidic, but it's what keeps wine tolerable to your mouth. And this was kind of an easy fix. I'm not sure what I would do if it was that the tannin structure was... I think if this, honestly, if this had higher tannins, I don't think that would have worked because I no. think it would have still been far too astringent. Yeah. The alcohol is still too high. Like it, it, it There it's, is no reason for this to be 14.5%. Yeah, that, go, that really throws out my underripe grape theory. So I don't know if this was just like a bad vintage or it's a bad vineyard location. Or, yeah, somebody what. just forgot that they were fermenting. <laughs> oh, yeah, we need to check that tank no one's really looked at it in three weeks yeah oh 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 god okay well <laughs> that that was this episode <laughs> that was this episode we hope that you've enjoyed this episode talking about some of our favorite wines for fall i hope that you're able to enjoy any festivities that you choose to be a part of i know i for one am going to be looking forward to some spooky events I believe I have gotten through at least five of the horror films that I wanted to watch and at least two that I did not want to watch. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, what sort of other fall things do you like doing? Well, okay, this is such an obvious answer, but I love going to wineries in the fall because because in Virginia, a lot of our wineries are in the Shenandoah Valley. Mm. And when the Shenandoah Valley oh. turns for fall, it is breathtaking. It so, erupts into that palette of yeah. yellows and mm -hmm. oranges and reds. Yeah. Oh. No, I, if you have not done that and you live in Virginia, please just do it. No, we need to do, do yourself that. a favor. Especially now because I need more reference photos from fall in order to paint. Oh, I there just we go. need it. So there we, we go. Need it's an excuse. This. It's a business expense. Well, think about it. A glass of wine on a stump mm -hmm. with the falling red leaves everywhere. Small charcuterie board. I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm cool with this. And a pumpkin. And Ugg boots, yeah. And Ugg boots. <laughs> just, they're just on there. Like, we actually carry everything, not in a basket, but uh, we carry but in, the food uh, in, in Ugg boots. boots. Oh, God. That's where the wine bottle is. <laughs> That's our wine cozy. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, but besides that, I mean, I as well, I mean, if you know what I look like in person, I clearly like Halloween. So Halloween is like a really fun time of year for me. I just love the decoration and the spooky and the horror movies and... The chill in the air. Everything mm -hmm. about it just screams yeah. cozy. We do thank you for, for joining us for our fall episode. Yes, this was fun. This was, this was a great time. Join us next time or follow us on Instagram and Twitter for more wine hacks. Yes. And uh, as always, I have been Michael. And I have been Gabe. Cheers. Cheers.